Jesus in a lowland of sin, hoping that we at last the life crown may win, serving the master through the morning are we. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Heavenly beauty makes the shadows to flee. Glory is waiting when the spirit is free. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Strangers but happy in his vineyard today. Trying to help our Lord and Savior always. Serving the master through the noontide are we. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Heavenly beauty makes the shadows to flee. Glory is waiting when the spirit is free. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Weary and footsore ere the battle is won. Trusting the promise that will hear his well done. Serving the master all the evening are we. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Heavenly beauty makes the shadows to flee. Glory is waiting when the spirit is free. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see. Glory is waiting when the spirit is free. Sunset is coming, but the sunrise will see, will see. Well, praise the Lord. That's good news. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Turn over to Revelation again, chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and uh, kind of pick up where we left off this morning, but I uh, <clears throat> was reading about a mother who took her little boy to church, and while they were in church, the little boy <clears throat> said, Mommy, I, 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 I have to pee. <clears throat> and the mother was like, <laughs> she looks at the little boy and says, listen, it's not appropriate to say the word pee in church. So from now on, whenever you have to pee, just tell me that you have to whisper. <clears throat> so the next Sunday, the little boy went to church with his father, and during the service, his dad, his, uh, he said to his dad, he said, Daddy, I have to whisper. And the father looked at him and said, okay, just whisper in my ear. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, well, needless to say, they needed the ushers, and so, <laughs> oh boy. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. <clears throat> Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Again, we focused on behold, I come quickly. We said in Revelation 22, 7, as we come to the end of the book of Revelation, we read, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We also noted a little further down in Revelation 22, in verses 12 and 13, it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be, as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And finally, as we close out the book of Revelation, in verse 20 of chapter 22, we see that he said, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, <clears throat> come Lord Jesus, the Apostle John said. So we noted right off the bat that <clears throat> the Lord said, when I do come, I'm coming quickly. I will be there, I will be there quickly. And Revelation 3.11 became kind of our, our text verse at that point. But we noted that when he talks about coming quickly here, it's talking about the idea that there's going to be no warning. And we noted Matthew chapter 24 that addressed and dealt with the days before the flood. For as in the days before the flood, and as it closes out, verse 39, he says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And we realized that there was a parallel between chapter 6 of Genesis and that situation with Noah and the ark and the people and God repenting that he'd even created man. We, we saw that parallel between how he arrived or how the rain came without notice to the people, even though Noah had preached for 120 years, they still were unaware and it was quickly that it showed up, quickly that it came. It seemed like it was without warning to them. And that's exactly what the coming of Christ will be like to the majority of people in the world. He will come quickly and it will be as if there is no warning. And we also noted that his coming could be at any time. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know not <clears throat> neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And so we took some time and said, you know, even as those uh, Old Testament people back there in Genesis 6 had Noah who was warning them and trying to remind them, hey, God is not happy. God is, con is, is, is very fed up with our sin and he's going to judge us and he's going to send rain and uh, a flood. And uh, he tried to warn them, but they would not listen. God provides us with some signs as well. And so we took a little bit of time this morning and considered the signs of the times. And we looked at signs in nature. We talked about some signs in society, some spiritual signs, and we noted there are going to be some political signs and some signs in technology that, have, uh, that the Bible addresses and deals with that opens our eyes to the reality that Christ is returning and that it could be at any moment. And when he does come, he will come quickly. And so <clears throat> tonight... I want to continue since we've already addressed those issues and we just, I just want to consider now just for a few moments some different aspects of this coming in light of the Word of God. We see that Scripture addresses it. We note the scoffer's perspective, the saint and the sinner. And I want to look at all four of those very quickly tonight and just get a kind of a well-rounded picture of the return of Christ and how it ought to be viewed and considered. Now, 
We're going to begin with the scripture. We already looked at a few passages that point to this, but we will begin with one that we started with this morning, and then we'll look at just a couple others very quickly, and then we'll move on to the next. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll get moving right along tonight. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the souls that were saved, and Lord, we're grateful for just the impact that your word has in our life, our hearts. And we just ask that once again tonight, you do the same. May your Holy Spirit walk these aisles and bring conviction to us and change. Lord, may you fill me with your Holy Ghost and may I be simply your mouthpiece tonight. Again, I need your presence and power in my life. Lord, I certainly want to be a a, a tool in your hand, someone that you can use tonight. Lord, it is not going to be a mere man that the people of God need tonight. It's you, the master. So, Lord, speak in and through me, and, Lord, may they hear with spiritual ears. Bless us this evening, we pray. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we consider this return of the Lord, and we know that He's going to come quickly, what does the Scripture say? Well, we obviously, we touched on it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And uh, I'm going to have you turn to Revelation chapter 4 right at the moment, would you? Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and then we're going to read another passage, and we want to compare those passages for just a moment. So, But I would not have you to be ignorant, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We address that passage this morning, so I read through it extremely fast. Now... Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. We see the Apostle John's writing now in the book, uh, and we're going to see him in Revelation. And he says here, uh, again, chapters 2 and 3, he's addressed, addressed the, the, the visible church on earth at that point, and also what I believe to be the church moving forward in history. But here we have Revelation 4, 1 through 2. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. We have Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, we read, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now again, we note that there's some similarities. As we look at the passage here, the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 4, 1 Corinthians 15, there are similarities. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we see the trump of God mentioned. In Revelation 4, there's a trumpet talking with me, John says. In 1 Corinthians 15, at the last trump, it says. So what we have here is we see a connection between these verses. Not only that, but we note in 1 Thessalonians 4 that they are caught up. In Revelation 4, he's told to come up. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 
shall be raised. Then also we see our text, we know it says, I come quickly. Well, in Revelation chapter 4, he talks or uses the word immediately. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. So again, what we find here is that there's a parallel or there's, there's this commonality between these verses. What, is they, what are they referring to? What are they speaking about? Obviously, they're speaking about the same event or they're associated some way, which means that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, at least in the clouds, to receive the church up unto himself, that portion of Scripture is, is spoken of three times here, at least we know, in the New Testament because they, so, they, they have so many common words that connect them together. So the Scriptures teach that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's going to return. First, we said he's going to return in the clouds and he's going to receive us up unto himself. We often refer to that as the rapture. There's a seven-year seven tribulation period that will kick off at some point after he uh, re- takes the church out. And then we're going to see the revelation of Jesus Christ as he returns back to earth according to chapter 19 of Revelation. And so <clears throat> he's going to do this quickly, right? What's going to happen is when he does return in the clouds, Just like that. We'll be caught out. It's going to happen before anybody even realizes it. Nobody's going to have an opportunity to respond to this. Oh, by the way, in an hour, Jesus will be back to get the church. That's not going to happen. But we have seen some signs. We talked about some of those signs, right? Some things that if we are looking and we are watching and we are listening, we can recognize and see that Jesus Christ is coming back and that it could be sooner than later. Not necessarily that we know when it is, but we certainly can prepare and be ready for it. And that was the point this morning. And today as we look at the scriptures, we realize that this is not just one scripture or two. There's a number of scriptures that point to the return of Christ, not just in the rapture but the revelation and may i say again because it is so confusing sometimes that when you're studying both the rapture you're going to run into verses that also apply to the revelation when you address the revelation you're also going to get scriptures that deal with the rapture why because they're all part of one the second coming of christ jesus does not come back to the earth at the rapture he only comes back to the earth in the revelation but the return of christ is in two stages the catching out And the coming down, it's all part of the same. And that's where the confusion comes. And therefore, you'll read things if you're not careful. And you get on the internet and you're you're not very wise sometimes to read what everybody thinks and what everybody says, by the way. But you may run into something where someone says, well, Jesus doesn't come back to the earth here, so it's not part of. It is. It doesn't exist because it's not mentioned. Rapture's not in the Bible. Oh, it's in the Bible. It's definitely in the Bible. It's just a matter of semantics. He doesn't use the word rapture, but a catching out or calling away. That stuff is certainly clear in the scriptures. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 4, 1 Corinthians 15. We see it there. It's just a matter of, as they would say, semantics. And we're not in, a, in, in it about semantics. We're in it about uh, the, the, the truth of the word of God. And we see a rapture of the church or the church being taken out before judgment comes. Praise the Lord for that. We see, we see a picture of that in Enoch, don't we? Enoch before the flood is taken out. Praise the Lord for that. And then we see Israel in Noah as he's put on an ark and carried through. And we also, I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, so we we see that. So nonetheless, we see the scriptures. Well, what about the scoffers? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. When you start talking about the return of Jesus Christ, 
You start talking about the fact that it'll be quickly. There's always somebody that's going to, yeah, yeah, well, whatever. Well, look at what these scoffers say in 2 Peter chapter 3. By the way, they're with us still today. They're with us today. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, 2 Peter 3, 1. This second epistle, beloved, I, write, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Right off the bat, we note their condition. These scoffers, that is. It says they're walking after their own lusts. What we recognize is that they are very carnal. They're not spiritual. They're walking after their own lusts. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, the Bible says, For ye are yet carnal, <clears throat> for as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? In the early church, the church of Corinth, there were problems. They had come out of a very wicked and very sensual society and culture. They find themselves tempted to fall back into that same lifestyle or at least falling back on the flesh instead of depending upon the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul dresses them and says, For ye are yet carnal. Why are they carnal? What are some of the evidences of carnality in their life? He says, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He says, Are not these the very traits and characteristics of the lost, of the world in which you live. Now that you are children of God, envying has no place, strife has no place, division has no place, because those are all a byproduct of carnality or flesh. So the very day or moment that you and I experience some envying in our life, we are carnal at that moment. When we begin to sow strife, we are carnal and fleshly. When we allow ourselves to bring division among the brethren, we are sowing discord, yes, and we are carnal and fleshly at that point. It's just, as, that's just the way it is. It's a biblical principle. It's not a matter of anyone judging anyone. Well, it is God judging us. But the reality is, is that he's looking at a church and saying, here's the condition of a scoffer. They are fleshly. They are carnal. And can I tell you that you and I can become the scoffer if we get in the flesh ourselves. <clears throat> but in this case, he's talking specifically about this return, about the last days, and about where's the promise of his coming. He said he was coming back. Where's he at? The condition. We see their challenge. Where is the promise of his coming? Again, we're to walk by sight. Uh, we're not to walk by sight, but by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So they have their condition. They make their challenge. Where is the promise of his coming? You're, running, you're, you're, you're talking a good game, Christian, but I don't see it. And then finally, their criticism. 
All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. It's just like it's always been. Nothing's changed. The sun comes up in the morning. The sun goes down in the evening. It's the same old, same old. And yet you keep telling me it's going to be different. You keep telling me Jesus is coming back. But guess what? Nothing's changed. See, they exercise human reasoning. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It is so easy, and we are so prone to, to thinking in human terms rather than spiritual, fleshly terms instead of spiritual. We fall into that trap very easily. We fall prey to it. Look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Again, Paul, the apostle, writing to the church at Colossae, and he's, he's warning them. He says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, may I say that there is a biblical philosophy. But it should not be vain in that sense. And it should not be deceit. But he says, listen, the problem is, is that if you are being motivated and moved by the traditions of men after the rudiments of the world, following after or being influenced by the mindset of the world and the philosophy of the world, boy, you're, you're going the wrong direction. It's going to affect you negatively. It's going to be bad news. And unfortunately, these scoffers are not viewing things from a spiritual perspective, but rather a worldly one, not from a from, from a spiritual, but a carnal. And as a result of that, they are criticizing the Word of God now. And they're with us always, by the way, the scoffers. It doesn't matter what generation, what time you lived in, the scoffers are there. You know, and what's, what, what would really be sad is if folks within the church, and we're watching churches change across America and around the world, the fact is, is that the rudiments of the world and the philosophies of the world are truly winding their way into the church. They're just kind of just showing up, right? It's sad, isn't it? I mean, we have churches that are adopting worldly philosophies today. Very, I mean, clearly worldly, too. We're not talking about people are like, well, I think your standards are different. It's not even a battle of standards anymore. We're talking about lifestyle choices that have been received and embraced. These things are very detrimental. To think that the breakdown of the home and the, 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 the total neglect of biblical roles and, and genders has been questioned amongst even believers today. That pastors and churches and sects of religion have chosen to discard the Word of God and the, 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 the clearly defined lines in the sand that God has placed in Scripture and embrace certain philosophies and rudiments of the world. It's, it's very dangerous. And it doesn't set itself up well for the next generations. It only prepares Antichrist to step in and rule and reign. Because where there's no king in the land, 
We think we're our own gods doing our own thing the way we want to. But let me tell you something. Humanity is not capable of ruling itself without mass destruction. Sooner or later, the Antichrist will rise up and people will follow him. Because they're always looking for a leader in the end. So we see, we see the, the scripture. We note the scoffer. Hey, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, he's coming quickly. And we noted and looked at some of the signs of the times. But now we've noted the scriptures themselves. We considered the scoffer. What about the saint? Where do we stand? Well, first of all, we must be watchful. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 37. I want you to note that first portion of the scripture there. Again, we must be watchful. As we noted, there, there's not really going to be much of a warning. If any, all there's going to be are some signs that God will give us. And as the believers, we'd be wise to keep our eye in the sky and to keep consistently, continually keeping an eye on the, on the, 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 the climate, if you will, of, the, of this culture, recognizing that, boy, he should, man, he could be here any moment. And notice what it says about the saint. We've got to be watchful in Luke 12, 37. It says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Find watching. What occupies your mind? What occupies your time? What occupies your thoughts? What, what, what occupies that? And the reality is, is that as believers, we ought to be considering and and, and, and Constantly thinking about, hey, listen, Christ could be coming back. Why would we want to do that? As we mentioned already, we need to be very careful because we're not going to have any time to prepare. If we're not ready when the time comes, it'll be too late. But watch what it says. Turn to Matthew 25. Because we're going to see that there's not much warning, if any, that'll be given. And we see this illustrated in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Notice what it says in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, and at midnight, verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 6 of chapter 25, and at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the, unwise, but the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. You see that picture that we're being given here? We are the bride of Christ and the, Lord, the bridegroom will come and, and the fact is we must be prepared and readied and those lamps with the Holy Spirit functioning and working. Only those that are in Christ are going to go and be a part of that marriage in that regard and yet it's very clear it's going to happen quickly without any real warning. We've got to be ready. So if you're lost today, according to that, that little parable, you need to get some oil. <laughs> That's representative of the Holy Ghost in your life. And you receive the Holy Spirit when you accept Christ into your life as Savior. 
So now you're ready if he comes. But even as believers today, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to have control of our life? Or are we ordering our own steps in a sense? Instead of allowing God to order our steps. Because he is coming back. And when he does come, he's going to come quickly. We must be ready. So we must be watchful. What else is believers? What else is saints? Well, we must be working. Not only watchful, but working. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We've already established quite a bit that Christ is coming back. And when he does come, he's coming quickly. And so as a result... We, said, we, we, we recognize that in Scripture, but then we also said uh, not only the Scriptures, but the scoffer, he, he or she is going to deny it. They're going to try to say, hey, come on now, if this was really going to happen, it should have already happened. You've been saying this for years and years and years. Nothing's changed. But how should the saint respond? Well, be watchful. Number two, be, we must be working. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And when Jesus comes back, he will come quickly. I just thought I'd throw that in. Because you're not going to have an opportunity to change your ways once that happens. It'll be too late. All, only labor that you'll get rewarded for will be the labor that you've done, not what you'd hope to do. And boy, do you want to be found, or do I want to be found lazy when the Lord returns? What you doing? Well, I'm just kicking back, taking it easy. What, aren't you supposed to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Well, yeah, but it's a lot easier just to relax. I think if, you know, the thought of that, the thought of that alone is... It, kind of bothers me, the thought of being caught doing nothing, being lazy. And I'm not talking about just being doing nothing physically or, or just doing nothing in the sense of, of not serving the Lord that way, but just not being diligent in my, my desire to learn more about Christ, my willingness to grow in the things of the Lord, to, to do my best to, to memorize some scripture, to, to uh, uh, grow in my walk in relationship with the Lord, to understand Him better, to get to know Him at a different level. It, 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 that goes before the service goes, you know, this outward stuff. That's what suffers before we say, oh, I think I'll just sit home tonight. We've already taken a break in our own personal walk and relationship before our corporate one is affected. So, you know, we, we, we need to be working. In John 9, 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Again, the point being is there's a coming a day when you won't be able to. You can't. You won't. Jesus Christ is going to return. It'll be over. It'll be done. Well, we want to make sure that we use our time wisely, that we walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You only have so much time, right? It's a reality. Boy, I tell you what, though, let's be honest. The world's really good at grabbing our attention, isn't it? it? It's good at it. There are so many things to get involved in in the world if you really want to, right? 
It's, it's easy. It's, it's really easy. And you know, it's fun a lot of times, and it's exciting, and, and you know, and, and, and it seems like it's harmless, let's face it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this or that. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong, but that's where you go back to what? Was it Hebrews chapter 12, where he talks about the fact that, that we need to set aside those weights and the sin which does so easily beset us? Sins aren't the only thing that hinder and hamper the believer from receiving all the rewards that he or she could have received. Those weights do it as well. And I think sometimes those weights are probably maybe even more effective in a Christian's life uh, than sin itself. The devil can convince us that the weights are perfectly fine, but, and yet those weights can hinder and hamper us so, so desperately. So we need to be very cautious and careful. And that leads us to our last point under the saint. We said we must be watchful, we must be working, we must be wary. That means careful or cautious. In 2 John 1.8, turn there because this is really a tremendous verse. 2 John 1.8. You know, I, and again, I, I've, been, I've, I've been tempted to go along this line where you know, in the past, I, I've struggled with it. You know, uh, well, you know, I'm not that concerned about the rewards. I serve Jesus solely out of love. I've been tempted to go that route, and, and then I've heard people say things, I'm not worried about no rewards. But Jesus is worried about it. So if he's worried about it, I ought to be. If it's important to him, it ought to be important to me. You know, you know what I found? I found that when I prepared for any kind of sporting event, one of the things that motivated me the most was the idea of standing on the podium, number one. I wanted the big trophy. I wanted the biggest trophy to have. Man, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to meet. You say, well, that's pretty arrogant and prideful. Hey, what's competition about? It's about winning. I wanted to win the race, as the Bible talks about. I wanted to come out ahead. Now, in the Christian race, we're not racing against each other. We're racing against ourselves and the, and the plan and purpose that God has for us, in a sense. But the fact is, is that there are rewards that God wants to give us. And notice what he says in, in, in 2 John 1.8. He says, look to yourselves. Consider yourselves now for a minute. I'm telling you all the time, it's not just about you, but others as well. Remember, he tells us that. But in this case, he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. It appears that somebody has gained something along the way here, has accumulated something, has wrought something, but that we receive a full reward. Don't lose what you've already gotten, but receive a full reward. So look to yourselves. Why? Because it's possible to lose what you have already obtained. It appears in scripture that you can live the Christian life and then falter and lose what you had accumulated reward-wise along the way. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? I'm amazed. You know, I sat down, I talked to a gentleman the other day, very kind man. I'll talk to him again. I, I, I think he's, I believe he's a Christian. I really do. I believe the guy's a Christian. Have no problem. But we were talking, and he struggled. He struggled so much with this idea. He said, you know, the one area that I'm not real, I just can't agree with the Baptist on. He goes, no, I'm not trying to argue. I said, brother, listen, you don't have to worry about that. Just say what you got to say. He said, and I knew where he was going to go immediately. 
You do too, probably. He said, they talk about this once saved, always saved. And I'm thinking, first of all, we don't usually talk about it quite like that as much as we used to. Years ago, it was once saved, always saved. And I don't talk about that way. I say eternal life, because that's the Bible term. But, but, but he, he said, I don't agree with that. I can't, I can't believe that you can get saved and, 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 and live your life and then eventually go off and do worldly sinful stuff and think somehow that, that that's okay. Well, he doesn't understand 2 John 1.8, does he? There's something at stake here. And furthermore, over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is, when he talks about the terror of the Lord, there's something about this. We downplay it all the time because we're saved and you know God's a God of mercy and a God of love, but there's something too a reward. There's something to have to cast at the feet of Jesus. There's something about that reward that matters. And the truth is, is if we don't run the race the way we ought to, and we falter and fail, and we are not steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, there will be a price to pay. I don't know. It's not your soul. I get that. But it's not going to be pleasant, I don't believe. And I think it... I, I just don't serve for the rewards. That doesn't matter to me. Can I tell you, it will matter to you one day. Because God says it's going to matter. Or he wouldn't have put warnings like this in there. It will matter. You say, how? I don't know exactly, but it'll matter. It'll be pretty important to you at that point. In Revelation 2.25, the Bible says, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And don't let loose of any of it. Don't step back in your Christian walk and faith. Stay faithful, stay consistent, and keep going forward for God. Okay, what's better than the Christian life? What's better than having a clear conscience? What's better than being able to lay your head on a pillow at night and go to sleep knowing that you have done the best you can to please the Lord? Oh, you're not perfect, but you're trying to please the Lord, live for God, and What's, what's better than seeing the fruit of the Christian life lived out in your life, your marriage, and your family? Well, I, I can guarantee you, it's a lot better than watching loved ones go off into the world. It's a lot better than seeing your marriages splintering and, and separating. It's a lot better than addressing and dealing with the vices of the world. Be careful. Don't lose those rewards that you've already gotten, that you've accumulated, that you have earned along the way that the Lord Jesus Christ is storing up for you one day. If at all else, for all any other reason, just think about how wonderful it would be to be able to take all of those and just kind of lay them at his feet and say, it was all you, brother. It's all you, God. Thank you so much for everything you did for me because I, I deserved hell. And you didn't just give me hell. You gave me all this too. And that would be awesome. Now, finally, last but not least, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this probably, but the sinner. We, we, you know, we, we, we were fortunate, we are blessed to see some folks come to Christ even today. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And why? Because he's coming quickly without real, any real warning. We've got to be prepared and ready. And that thought alone can motivate us to settle some things and prepare. But the sinner in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-3, Go ahead and look at that, would you please? 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 3. In light of this return, in light of the, the fact that Christ is coming quickly, 
What does the Bible say to sinners tonight? What does it say to sinners tonight? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 3. For yourselves know perfectly, verse 2, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Isn't that one of those passages again? Remember I was telling you about the, the rapture and the revelation and how the two of them can somehow get kind of muddied a little bit because they're, they're one, they're two parts of the same thing. And then this is one of those where it talks about a thief because we know he's coming back to the earth and he's referred to as a thief coming back to the earth and he's going to surprise the world. We understand that. But he'll surprise a lot of others here too, won't he? Watch what happens here. He says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Wow, that's serious business. In Matthew 24, 40, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Matthew 24, 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Hey, I come quickly, he says. I'm coming without warning. I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up one day. Now, I've given you some signs of the time, some scriptural proofs that you better prepare, and, and they kind of cue you into the idea that, hey, the time may be soon, so prepare. Ready yourselves in the event that I come, because when I do come, I'm coming quickly. And so, sinner, be ready. Saint, be ready. Scoffer, you better get ready. Because the scripture is true. It's true. Maybe there's an area in your life you just need to deal with. You may know it, only you and God. But you need to settle that, work on it. Why? Because we already saw the signs of the times are pointing to the return of Christ. And when he comes, he's coming quickly. Without real warning, he'll catch you off guard. You must be prepared. And as a child of God, let's make sure that we don't lose any of those rewards that we have wrought, that God has, that we have already accumulated on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're lost today without Jesus Christ and you don't know for sure heaven's your home, don't, don't take a chance on tomorrow. Settle it today. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time we've had together. And Lord, may your return be real to us. May we truly be watching and weary. Lord, sometimes it just seems like it's so far away. And although we may not be verbally scoffing, we are, in essence kind of living the way the scoffer might express themselves. Kind of like, hey, you know, he's not coming back today. Well, Lord, you could come back this very moment. May we not dismiss your word. May we not display any sense of 
contempt for it in any way. But may we embrace it and truly live our lives in a way to bring honor to you and ultimately glory and be prepared when you return. We love you. We need you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.